Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. All five for the next round table. Hello. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good, thank you. How about yourself? Uh, doing okay. <laughs> Good. All right, four, and then... Denise, do we have you on just audio today or video as well? Uh, yeah, I'm just on audio today. Perfect, no worries. Oh, great. All righty, thank you everyone for joining this round table with Gillian. Begin, Tia, you have the first question. Sorry about that, didn't know I was going first. Hi, this is uh, Tia Fabi from Geek Vibes Nation. Gillian, so wonderful to speak with you today. You have done so many amazing projects, and I just have to know what stood out about Utopia, um, the idea of it that made you want to just flesh out this world. Yeah, I mean, the the great thing, you know, about seeing the original was that idea that it had a lot in common with the kind of themes and interests that I that I have, you know, the idea of um, what's on the surface versus what's underneath, you know, how we treat each other in front of other people versus behind closed doors, um, the twists and turns and that ability to use genre to pull you through a story while you talk about kind of bigger issues. Um, And so I really chimed with all that. At the same time, it was, you know, it was a different world than I normally inhabit. I normally um, write very psychological stuff, very pretty internal, you know, it's, it's, uh, they're, there's stories about, you know, a husband and a wife or an unreliable narrator or a mother and a daughter that, you know, much more insular. Whereas I liked that this would challenge me, you know, it was an ensemble, lots of different characters with different points of view. Um, and, uh, you know, it was really uh, literally taking place in the great big world. It was kind of where we are as a society right now um, as we make choices about um, what we do with the planet, what we, how we treat each other, uh, you know, all these different big sort of human vibing themes. And I, I really liked that. It was, it was um, kind of exciting and, and scary at the same time. Thank you so much, Gillian. Sure. Denise, you have the next question. Gillian, so in regards to Jessica Hyde's character, she seems very complicated. She sort of treads the line between good and bad. How do you want the viewers to feel about Jessica Hyde? You know, that is something I don't ever think about. I never, you know, I I never think about how do I want people to feel about that. And I I would actually say that that's probably one of my strengths as a writer, Um, that I don't, because I'm not ever trying to manipulate you. I'm writing the character as I see the character. And, you know, for instance, you know, when I was writing Amy and Gone Girl, I wasn't, I wasn't wanting people to feel one way or another. I was just writing her and people would feel 
um, the way they would feel about her. So I would never presume to tell an audience member how to how to feel about any character. Um, to me, she's a you know a lot of different things. Um, you know, she's this arrested development um, kind of nearly feral um, person. But as you get to know her. Um, you realize where her violence comes from. You realize where her need comes from. Now, I've always been a big believer that if you know, you know, what someone's childhood or background was like, you you have a huge key to an understanding to that person. So I think as the series goes on, you 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 see her more as a human. She becomes more human. You know, she she becomes less violent. She becomes she stops thinking of humans as fungible and more as as that realization that they're not just a means to an end and and i like her her gentle uh, growth so thank you yeah eric you have the next question hi gillian eric francisco with inverse.com based on some of your books most especially hey dark places uh your stories Mm -hmm. have a somewhat unflattering view on fandom utopia has a somewhat similar view we see mansplainers at conventions jessica hyde herself tells our heroes that a good day for them is spending life indoors reading other people's stories um i'm just curious what your views are on fans and fandom and how is that expressed through utopia um well first of all i would never call dark places anti-fandom i would love to go to a kill club convention um, and I go, I go to comic cons constantly. Um, I grew up, my dad made his living in addition to being a teacher, um, selling comic books and buying comic books and, and trading. So, um, I was carted to many a convention and flea markets all over the tri-state area. Um, and, and so personally for me, and, and I wrote for entertainment weekly for 10 years. So I am definitely a fandom Um, And I think to me, and this is personally, you know, so this is me personally, as opposed to who I'm writing, which is obviously very different, but um, uh, you know, I'm, I, I love fans because they put it all out there. And I think in a world that's less and less passionate, like I love people who love their shit. Like I love people who like love what they love and whatever it is. I always want to hear about it. Like, why do you love this thing? Okay. Tell me about it. Um, and, but that said, you know, I put that in, I certainly put that in Samantha's mouth because I've had arguments with my friends, mostly, mostly women, mostly feminists who who sort of say along the lines of what Sam says, which is comic books, if comic books were monetized by women for women, they would not be taken with the seriousness as they are as a largely, and I know less and less, but male-dominated um, genre um and and have had that argument so i i did put that deliberately in sam's mouth because i do think that is a worthwhile discussion to have um so that is the that's i think the long and short of it but yeah thank you dana you have the next question There have been plenty of shows in the past where we see that uh, there's people who go on quests related to books or any kind of media that they find. How do you feel that Utopia uses this dynamic to be distinctive? Oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I, I couldn't hear 
Um, Dana, your, your audio is a little shaky. If you'll go ahead and message me your question, I can read it aloud. Here. Sorry, I thought I'd get. I thought I was gonna be able to figure it out, but it it was just garbled enough that I want to give you the right answer. No worries. In the meantime, Kristen, you can ask the next question, and Dana, I'll read your question after that. Okay. Cool. Hi. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say no one knew how relevant this project would really be with its tackling of conspiracies and pandemics in today's society. So I was wondering if you could share, I guess, what you hope people might take away from the show in regards to that. Sure, sure. Um, to, to me, what I was most attracted to was the conspiracy element and was that idea, and it's only gotten more so since 2013, that we're starting to treat truth as if it's malleable, that we're starting to treat opinion as, as on an equal level as fact. And the, you know, and I do understand that there are some things that are always going to be pure opinion, but there is such a thing as truth. And I think when we start going down the road that we debate that that is not the case or putting ourselves deliberately into a place where we can be manipulated um, and manipulate very easily. And I think um, you look at, you know, whether, whether you're left, right, whatever your politics are, whatever it is, um, if when you start um, treating um, things that can be proven as things that can be just purely opinion because uh, you like the way it's displayed or you like the way it's phrased, or, you know, anything like that, that, you know, it's, it, tr- I truly believe it's uh, dangerous for society. And, you know, I, I just, I, unless we can all agree that truth is true, um, you know, an opinion is opinion, um, then we're going down a very dangerous place. And certainly we've seen that in the pandemic and we've seen that in the fires recently. I mean, the, you know, um, and we're being played by any number of political concerns, business concerns, um, and we're falling, we're completely falling for it. And, you know, so to me, this was um, that, that idea, um, you know, that it shouldn't be who has the best spin wins, it should, you know, that, that, that shouldn't be the fact, the factor here. Um, Yeah, that it's very, we're going down a dangerous road when we're um, and it's not just purely don't be in the echo chamber of the left or right, you know, get a variety of opinions. It's literally respect that there is such a thing as truth and have some sort of basic agreement on that. Thank you. Sure. All right. Dana's question is that there have been a couple of other series about people who go on quests related to books or media they find. What do you do to make Utopia use this dynamic yet be distinctive? Ah, thank you, Dana. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, they they mentioned several times, you know, different characters talk about Jessica's hero's journey or a sort of quest. Um, you know, Wilson Wilson's very well versed in the, the different sort of quest narratives and um, certainly culturally it's, it's very aware. I, um, so I wanted to play on that, that idea that this is uh, Utopia at its heart is about a character, Jessica Hyde, who is then made a character within Utopia 
And so it's this kind of layer of uh, uh, an anti-hero who's created as a hero who then has a mythology that you'll find out in episode eight. And, you know, I think I play with that a lot, I think, in, in, in my different forms. You know, I, I deliberately, when I did Gone Girl, I had them, yeah, I had dueling narrators who were both writers because I liked that idea of um, two writers trying to out, kind of outspin each other and out narrate the story for the reader. And so I've always been really attracted to that, that meta-ness, you know, so that it's not, it's not the classic hero's journey because I suppose, you know, Jessica Hyde, um, and that's, this is thanks to Dennis Kelly, did not, uh, the UK creator did not, you know, make Jessica Hyde uh, a natural hero, you know, so um, I've always been fond of, of finding oneself in a position where you're rooting for an anti-hero. Um, you know, I, I like, I love at the end of Silence of the Lambs where Hannibal Lecter's getting, slipping away and you're like, go Hannibal. And then it's like, wait, he's a cannibal. What am I doing? I like the, I like having those kind of, you know, finding yourself in and having empathy for someone who does bad things, you know, because uh, I just think ultimately uh, that's acknowledging the a kernel of humanity in uh, each of us. All right, thank you for that. The next question is back at the top to Tia. Hi, um, so can you tell us what the process was of creating, say, the comic book pages in Utopia and making sure that they correlated perfectly with the plot of the actual movie? I mean, not the movie, I'm sorry, TV show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, you know, that was so much fun. Uh, I made the decision early on. In the UK version, it, uh, you don't see Utopia in and of itself, but you don't need to because it's the, visually it's so sleek and it's making all these calls and echoes and, and resonating with that world. Um, so once I decided to film this more in keeping with kind of 70s conspiracy thrillers and that that would be at its core, I realized that I wanted to see Utopia. I wanted to see why all these people were obsessed with it. I wanted to see if I would be obsessed with it. I wanted, you know, to, to be able to put these Easter eggs in it um, and, and really, really use it um, again, like, um, and, and possibly a dash of it was so I could give my dad a copy for Christmas. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I really, I liked that it could be this physical thing that people could handle and really pour over and debate over and you would see it. And there was this um, an artist that I've always loved. His name's Joao Ruiz. It's J O A O, last name R U A S. And he's an artist that I've loved. I discovered him doing um, Bill Willingham's Fables years ago. And I was always like, man, he's like Arthur Rackham on acid. Like he specializes in children and fairy tales and animals but they all look so fucked up and and disturbing and i was like we gotta get him we gotta get him um and so you know it was it was sometimes it was writing moments that i knew would just help frankly move on exposition that we could kind of cut away to as i you know getting into the mythology sometimes it was deliberate easter eggs that that 
could be hidden. Sometimes it was, um, you know, the, it was to be used in all different ways, but it was mainly just to open up that world so we could, we could really see why, why and how this thing had come into to being and, and obsessed so many people. And he certainly did that. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, everyone. And with that, that concludes our round table. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Thank you.